This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm Katie Walls. Uh, local election results are partly in, uh, so we're going to take this moment to look at uh, what we can tell from the results so far. To do this, I'm joined by Fraser Nelson, the editor of The Spectator, and James Johnson, the pollster. So so to begin, James, we're at that point where there's still several uh, results more to come in, in fact quite a lot, though I imagine once the King's coronation gets underway they'll be getting a little bit less attention on, on the television than, than they are now. But what do you think the main takeaways are so far? Well, I think this is clearly a, a good night for Labour. There's no doubt about that. It clearly puts Labour in the advantage position for the next general election. Um, it's also good for the Lib Dems. Clearly, they're able to make headway in those blue wall seats that the Conservatives are defending in the South. Having said all that, when we look at the national equivalent vote, yes, the Conservatives are down uh, in terms of they're behind Labour, but Labour are not sort of getting a double digits huge lead, at least with the Professor uh, Michael Thrasher projection. Um, he's saying that Labour will be on between uh, 38 to 40% uh, and that the Conservatives will be on between 28 to 30%. So what that means is, is that if that was replicated in a general election, there would be a hung parliament with Labour as the largest party. So what we're not seeing here is a 90s Blair-style wipeout for Labour, and nor are we seeing a particularly good result for the Conservatives. I think it confirms what we knew already in some ways. There is a path for the Conservatives at the next election, but it's a very narrow one. Uh, Once you throw in Scotland into the mix, once you throw in squeezing in Lib Dems into the mix, it may well be harder still. But I think it does show that the next election does remain open, and perhaps some of those Labour claims that uh, this shows they're they're set for government were a little, a little premature this morning. Yes, Fraser, it feels though like Labour's trying to set the narrative, which is this is a brilliant result for them. And as James said, it's clearly a good result. But you have Keir Starmer saying we're on course for a majority government, echoed by his shadow chancellor, Rachel Reeves. Do you think people in Labour will be happy with the result? John Curtis, the uh, polling professor, said that really Labour needed a 10-point lead to show they were on a path to power. Well, when you look at Labour's objectives and the locals, um, they wanted Swindon, they got Swindon. They've got Plymouth, they've got Stoke-on-Trent, they've got Medway. The Tories have lost lots of councils here. So that objectively is a success for the Labour Party. Now, I got an email from them at something like five to six this morning um, saying that, that we are confident we're going to be eight points ahead. And if we're eight points ahead, that means we're going to be in getting a majority at the next general election. Now... Is, um, I'm not quite sure why they were confident, because at the time there were just a few dozen really councils returned the results. And right now it looks like there might be between six and ten points ahead. But, you know, I, I, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, by the time, you know, this time tomorrow, we should know that for sure. But even then, we know that local election results are a broad indicator, but not a very reliable indicator of general election results. We also can see the national opinion poll trend. When Rishi Sunak first took over, he was 30 points behind a Labour Party. That gap has now narrowed between from 30 to 15 points. Now, if that gap can get beneath 10 points by the time of the new year, then all of a sudden you've got a competitive general election. Now, just think back to where the Tories were in the trough of the Liz Truss days. They would have given their eye teeth 
for a competitive general election. It looks completely in the bag for Labour. It looks less so now. Now, I am um, useless at political predictions. I stopped, I think, 2016 was the last time I, um, I made one. So I right now will talk in percentages and say that I would give Sunak a one in three chance of winning the next election. When he first became leader, I would have given him a one in seven chance. And today's results sort of underline that for me, because um, the way that the, the boundary changes work, Labour do need to be significantly ahead. And so the Tories can actually be behind Labour in voting share of the general election, still emerge the largest single party, Sunak could still end up as Prime Minister. So we're not in that smashing territory yet. But I think it's a bit mean to say, therefore, Labour has failed. Labour has scored a string of local government successes. And I think that is testimony to the recovery they've made from the mess that Labour was in, in the Corbyn era, and Starmer's work personally, rooting out the Corbynistas, putting the moderates back in charge. And you can even see, I was fascinated to see analysis, showing that Brexit voting constituencies were swinging harder to Labour than the Remain ones. So a sign, perhaps, of Labour getting its old voters back. James, what do you say to that that Brexit point? Because it feel, looks as though the Tories are also losing support in quite a few of these Remain voting areas, particularly, you know, in some of these uh, southern strongholds traditionally. Yeah, well, if you look at the polling over the last year or so, and you look at the voters that have left the Conservatives, they tend to be Leave voters. Um, they tend to be more working class, they tend to be slightly older, um, and they tend to have voted for Brexit in that 2016 referendum. That is worrying for the Conservatives, because obviously those those voters are concentrated in those places that gave them the majority last time round in the North uh, and the Midlands. And of course, there are plenty of those voters in the South too. Um, and actually, you can see those uh, those voters having an impact in the South, even in those more what we would call blue wall or middle class liberal areas. Actually, they often have a large contingent of voters that like that too, even if they're not in the majority. So I think that's absolutely right. Look, I think I think the question here is is for the next election is is the weakness in the Conservative position structural? Are they going to lose to the Lib Dems almost regardless because the brand is that damaged in the South? Are they going to see Labour? Uh, significantly increase their position in Scotland and in Wales? And fundamentally, is there anyone more for them to squeeze? I think that's one interpretation. And then obviously we are headed, even with this relatively good but not amazing Labour position, headed towards a Labour government. The flip side is effectively what Fraser's saying, which is or the, the scenario that Fraser's saying, which is that Labour continues to lose their polling lead. And there's absolutely no doubt that uh, if these elections were ran six months ago, they would have been one heck of a lot worse for the Conservatives than they were uh, than they were this week. Um, so Rishi Sunak has helped narrow that gap. The question is whether he can do it anymore or whether there's a structural limit on that. I lean towards thinking that there is more that he can do, only because when you put Sunak and Starmer up against each other in the polling, in the focus groups, things are a lot tighter. Sunak and Starmer weren't on the ballot this week, but they will be at a general election. And James, just on that point, if you're, uh, I suppose, looking at the 2019 election, which clearly had lots of factors that you're not going to repeat the next time around. But when we look at some of those blue wall seats, so for example, when Alex Chalk uh, kept Cheltenham, lots of people thought that was one the Tories might lose. Do you, do you think one of the things that helped the Tories in 2019 with these voters specifically was Jeremy Corbyn? The fact that Lib Dem, perhaps Tory Lib Dem voters, switch voters, didn't want Jeremy Corbyn to be Prime Minister, in which case, having Keir Starmer, you're not, you might, you might not be infused by him but you're not 
frightened by the prospect, it is harder to hold those areas potentially. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's right, and I think that uh, that's one thing that Labour will be hoping will mean that the Lib Dem vote in those areas is still relatively high. Um, and when you look at the Keir Starmer versus Rishi Sunak numbers amongst those voters, Keir Starmer tends to have a small lead. But having said all that, Rishi Sunak does appeal to those voters more than Boris Johnson or Liz Truss did. So there is a there is a chance that you know the reverse happens. He shores up a little bit of that. But yeah, absolutely no doubt that will be what Conservatives will be thinking about now. If you're in an area like Isha and Walton, like Cheltenham, or like Stroud, how do you squeeze that Lib Dem vote and make sure that actually it's it's siding with you rather than with rather than with Labour? And uh, at the moment, based on these results, that's looking increasingly difficult for the Tories to do. Fraser, it's clearly been a difficult uh, result for the Tories, even if there is a path. I mean, effectively, I suppose it's confirming the polls. But do you think this is going to mean we see any change in strategy from number 10? Or do do you think they'll want to say, you know, we have our plan, just don't focus on these elections? No, I don't think there'll be any change in strategy. Uh, Rishi Sunak wants to make a virtue of consistency here. And you can hear him on that. So when he was asked about the results, he was saying, oh, yes, the message I get from this is people want me to focus on their priorities and the priorities are I've only listed as five plans. So I think this five-point plan that he did in January, he's going to be reinforcing now. Um, he, he basically is hoping for some small boats action. There was the Court of Appeal case last week. We don't know what it found, but if it found for the government, then there might be jets taken off for Rwanda sooner rather than later, in which case he's hoping this will be a sort of stone moment. He can stop the small boats. Nobody thought he could. And then he'll be able to take inflation, which is still looking as if it's going to safely beat his targets of being cut in half by the end of the year. So he is still very much looking forward to these promises he's made coming good. And then he wants to give another five plans. He wants to say in January next year, well, I achieved those five. Now I'm going to achieve these slightly more imaginative, harder to achieve five. And that will be his election pledge. So this is not somebody who will tear up his plan and change it when he encountered turbulence in the local election results. That's the sort of thing that Boris Johnson might have done, but um, it's not very Sunak. Of course, we need to remember that Sunak himself was campaigning quite a lot. It's not his strong suit. This is a guy who lost a campaign to Liz Truss and couldn't even win a a vote amongst his own um, party members, let alone the general public. So the great... He's unusual here because most people become party leaders or prime ministers after they've won a general election and have led the party through a campaign. Sunak has had no real proper campaign experience. In fact, the locals have been pretty much the closest he's going to get. Now, I don't think he was a disaster, but nor did he distinguish himself either. And that's what we have to remember. We're in a general election, we're heading towards one, where neither Keir Starmer nor Rishi Sunak is a particularly flamboyant and effective campaigner in the way that Tony Blair and in the way that uh, Boris Johnson were. They're going to try to fight each other in a test of competence. Um, And I think as far as Rishi Sunak is concerned, that competence comes in sticking to a plan once you've hatched one. And just finally, James, you touched on some of the structural factors uh, that could help Labour. So 
part of the reason they're saying with an eight point you know, swing that they can still uh, win a majority is because of the situation in Scotland. I was speaking to some uh, downhearted Tory MPs when uh, you saw the SNP collapse, effectively saying, you know, Starmer could not get any luckier as a leader with, with some of these things coming up. What do you think is the best case scenario in terms of what needs to go right for Rishi Sunak to make that very narrow path that you've talked about happen? So I think Fraser's absolutely right. Um, <clears throat> it's going to be down to those five promises this year. Um, if he can get to the end of this year, inflation significantly down, progress on small votes, progress on some of the other issues, then he will be able to turn around and say, look, I've managed to do these things. And what we see in the polling is that voters don't expect those things to happen. So if he can buck expectations, then that may well shift the view of him uh, and allow him to assert more of a lead over Keir Starmer um, in those best PM numbers, which are absolutely critical. And you'd think that would then feed through to voting attention. He then needs to do something even more, which is that in the you know he then needs to set out his future vision. You know what's his exciting vision for the country? I think one thing that the con- trap that the Conservatives must not fall into is to assume that voters want stability, they want you know continuity rather than change, and that's something that Boris Johnson very much grasped in 2019. It's something that Theresa May didn't grasp in 2017. Um, That was a continuity campaign about stability. So Rishi Sunak would also need to deliver that exciting vision that he can say, based on 2023, that he's able to deliver. So if those things take place, look, you'd hope also that the SNP vote would shore up a little bit in Scotland. There's no doubt that that would help the Conservatives. Um, Then then that path is there. But I do want to emphasise you know, um, I, I sometimes get a bit of flack for saying, you know, oh, the Conservatives, you know, might win the next general election. It is a might. All I'm saying is, is that it's open and that there's a, there's a path. But there is a world in which when you sit back and you look at these results, when you look back at the overall overall picture, SNP collapse in Scotland, Labour ahead on voting intention and on who's best to handle the economy. And of course, the new number tonight, which is Labour now having more being set to have more councillors in England than the Conservatives overall. You could look at those and think these are the historical markers that suggest we might be heading towards a Labour government. All I would say is that I do think, although it's advantaged Labour, things are still ultimately up for grabs. And as Fraser says, Rishi Sunak will be sitting tight and thinking there's a way he can close the gap. Thank you, James. Thank you, Fraser. And thank you for listening.